Welcome to this week's episode of Unfortunately Required Reading. This is our first part of the spooky Halloween stuff. Yeah. Um, our episode this week is Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yeah. Or the horrible title that I've come up with, What Sweet Music They Make. Yeah, if you have a better title idea, uh, let us know. Please, please share it with me. Or maybe we just need to start doing the titles of the books because SEO. Yeah. Just hyphenated. Yeah. Sorry. Dracula. Sorry, I'm a social media person. What are we drinking? Uh, we're drinking sangria. Uh, I made a red wine sangria out of Lano Sweet Red. Um, it's so good. There's brandy. Not the singer, like the alcohol. Um, there's orange juice. There's pears. There's cherries. There's apples. And topped with blood orange soda. Uh, we're drinking sangria because it comes from the Latin word sangre, which means blood. So we're kind of drinking blood. And we're going to... I'm not excited about this. Also on the cheese plate, we have an Irish cheddar because I have to. And it's delicious. I love, I love every time we get a chance to eat Irish cheddar. We also have... I can't pronounce it. Oh, it's hematoga. Never mind. Yeah. I can, I can do that. Which is a Russian candy bar that's supposed to increase your red blood cells... Also, previously, it had 5% powdered cow's blood. What does this have in it? As I cannot read Russian. Do you want me to see if I can Google lens it? I forgot about that. See if we can figure out what's in it. Yeah. I mean, I should know this. I, I could probably pick out, like, three of these words. Mm -mm -mm. Google lens is amazing, you guys. It really is phenomenal. I think it's supposed to be Russian. Don't auto detect. Just give me, just give me Russian, please. Thank you. It's like we made in Ukraine. Oh, is it? I don't know. Well, Google Lens isn't picking it up. It's terrifying. So we're just gonna go ahead and say that this might be what finally killed us. We we think there might be blood in this. Um, like that movie. There will be blood, but there might be blood. There might be blood. There Will Be Blood is my sister's favorite movie. Really? Which is why we will... Yeah, that's got blood in that. Oh, no. I will take a picture of this for the Instagram. Um, it's a little horrifying. I don't have words to describe to you how not excited I am. As you all can hear, I'm a little bit sick still. Oh, no. As someone who has chronic iron deficiency, I'm kind of excited. I mean, I'm glad someone is. Well, that and I've got a... Kvass in the fridge. Or kvass. Shorten my A's on that. It doesn't smell bad. It smells like coconut. It's actually pretty good. You can throw yours out. It's okay. I want you all know Amanda rose to the call and just ate the entire piece. There's the blood. There's this little bite. Oh. See? Yep. Yep. I That's like it, it though. Well, Victoria's a murderer. Just want you to know Probably. that. Probably. So I read that these were invented for children to uh, help curb like childhood anemia. And I do feel like as a child with anemia, this would have been great. I'm saving these for cover your ears, boys, for my period. So you can only get like one, like a pack of them. You can't just get like one. So I have five of these now. I feel like these probably aren't FDA regulated for us. I mean, the majority of stuff that I order from Russia is probably not FDA regulated. So, for us. Um, I would definitely consult with your doctor before drink, drinking, eating one of these. Uh, 
just because like, there's toxins and stuff that we don't necessarily... I'm trying to cover our asses. I don't want us to get sued. I, I have a death wish, so... Okay, but I don't want our listeners to die. We I don't... Yeah, okay, if you guys could not die. Um, yeah. I'll try and, and take a picture of this and try to translate it. Um, I mean, so far, we're not dead. I thought it was good. I want to eat the whole thing. It's got condensed milk in it, okay? Tori, I can just make you fudge. <laughs> I, there's... I can just... It's okay. You can just ask me to make you fudge. So we're going to do our attempt at the short story log. I feel like that was like a cry for help. But it's like, have I not provided you with enough candy? I have, I have enough. I, everything about me is a cry for help. Have you seen my Instagram? Um, yes, we're friends in real life. Yes, we hang out on weekends. We're going to go to the Romanian festival next weekend in San Antonio. <coughs> entirely for chimney cakes. Mm-hmm. I'm very excited about chimney cakes. So Do I have to explain what those are? I would explain it because not everybody knows. So a chimney cake is like this piece of dough that's wrapped around almost like a, a cone. And then you fire it in like an oven, usually like in a rotisserie kind of manner. And they're called chimney cakes because when they come off, they smoke and they steam like little chimneys. Uh, they're delicious. You can fill them with things. I quite like them. There are some places, I think, in California where they'll fill them up with like ice cream and stuff. And yeah, they were appropriated, which is frustrating. Yeah cultural appropriation. I think that's a mark on the bingo card. You want a short story along and then we get to talk about vampires? Alright. Jonathan Harker is trying to get promoted, so he takes over for another solicitor, aka a lawyer, to go to Transylvania to finalize documents for the mysterious Count Dracula. The whole way there, people are strange and try to get him to not go to the castle. He gets in a weird carriage that keeps stopping at blue lights. He gets to the castle and no one seems to be there, but then this old man who has really hairy palms and won't eat around him comes up to him. He tells Jonathan to send letters back to his loved ones that he's going to stay with Dracula for a month and work with him on his English. Red flag on the field. Jonathan starts getting his blood sucked on the regular by three vampire chicks in the castle and ends up seeing Dracula climb down the wall like he's a damn lizard. Red flag on the field as well. Keep in mind, this is all told in letters, so some of this has moved around a little bit. Mina Murray, Harker's fiance and a modern embodiment of the new woman, is writing to her rich friend Lucy. Lucy Westernrow is distraught because she's almost 20 and no one has proposed to her. Same. This changes when she gets three proposals in one day. One from Jack Seward, proprietor of the local mental institution, Quincy P. Morris, a Texan, and Lord Arthur Holmwood, who she's really not so secretly smitten with and has been for a long time. All these guys know each other and seem super chill when she accepts Homewood's proposal. And they all kind of hang out together, which was a little weird. Like, how would you not know the other ones were proposing? But anyway, um, a ship crashes on shore in Whitby and everyone on the ship is dead. However, a giant black dog leaps off the ship and runs away. The log for the ship is super creepy and an old dude who has been a fisherman in Whitby forever dies and is found near the cemetery. Lucy Westerner starts getting really sick and sleepwalking. Mina's freaking out because Jonathan isn't reaching out to her. Dr. Seward can't figure out what's wrong with Lucy and thinks it might be something mental. Holmwood agrees with Seward that they should send for his friend Abraham Van Helsing, who is a weird Dutch doctor that Seward has been best friends with for a long time. Van Helsing is like, well, this is some random shit. Let's do a transfusion because she's probably dying. Holmwood rolls up his sleeves and starts getting drained. At at least one point in time, everybody has to do a transfusion. Mina gets a letter from that Jonathan is in a convent being cared for by nuns because he was found with a violent brain fever, and Mina goes to him so they can get married. Good on you. 
Really? So after all these transfusions, Lucy still isn't getting better. And so Van Helsing puts garlic strands around her neck and locks all the windows. So, of course, her mom goes in, opens all the windows, and removes the garlic strand because she thinks Lucy is uncomfortable. Uh, that's not great because that just makes Lucy worse. So one night, Lucy's mom goes to sleep in the bedroom with her daughter, but she dies of a weak heart when she's scared as fuck by a weird bat creature that's trying to enter the room. Lucy stays with her body, but when the servants go downstairs to get a drink to calm down, they all end up passing out because someone has put laudanum in the alcohol. What? That's a waste of laudanum. Yep. Lucy hides a note in her cleavage so that if she dies, somebody will know what happened. She's weak when they find her. They give her yet another transfusion and she still dies. Van Helsing is pretty clear that they're going to need to cut off Lucy's head and remove her heart. Of course, all the dudes are like, we are not desecrating a body, please. He has to take them to see the damn vampire, and she's holding a kid who has been following her, calling her the Bloofer Lady, which is a cockney version of Beautiful Lady. Just in case you're ever wondering what that was. They do what Van Helsing asks them to, finally, and then Harker and Mrs. Harker return to London, where Mr. Harker has some serious PTSD. He swears he sees Dracula everywhere, but he's grown young. They end up being taken in by Harker's employer, who conveniently leaves him everything before dying. How nice. Van Helsing gathers the troops to hunt Dracula, who he is sure is hiding in the grave dirt at Carfax Abbey that he's purchased. The guys gather together to destroy crates of dirt. Mina is left at the insane asylum because it's supposed to be safe. However, Renfield, the solicitor Jonathan replaced, is there because he's batshit after being with Dracula, and he's now Dracula's disciple. Dracula ends up biting Mina and giving her his blood. She now has a connection to him. Dracula flees with the last box of Earth. Mina is able to figure out where he's going because she's got this connection. So they all go to Transylvania and battle hand-to-hand with Dracula. Quincy Morris dies of a gut stab, which is super lame because he's one of the only normal people. Dracula is killed. Mina and Jonathan name their kid Quincy when he's born a year later on the anniversary of the Dracula raid. Dungeons and Dragons raid. Raid. Calm down. Listen. The <coughs> thing for me. There are a lot of themes in this book. So yeah. many themes. I took an entire class on this in college. And I'm just a giant nerd, so. And by giant, I mean I'm approximately five foot one. But you know what's the personality. I hear that a lot. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be a dick. No, like, I think it's fascinating, because uh, there was a friend of mine. Where, like, we've met in real life, and I, uh, I commented on her Twitter... And I said, like, how am I almost, like, a full foot shorter than you? And she said, honestly, I had no idea. Tori is indulging in some of the drunken fruit. So good. <laughs> That's a pear. That is a pear. It's a Bosque pear. I had a friend who was, like, three inches shorter than me. But we always thought she was taller because she could kick your butt. Yeah, I have a personality that gives me at least, like, six to seven inches, so. Um... There are a lot of themes in here. I mean, I guess we need to start with probably the obvious one, which is desire. Sexual repression. So here's the thing with vampires, and uh, Stoker really doesn't get the credit for this, but he did make it at least like male energy. Vampires have always been a stand-in for like sexuality. Or like, as we know vampires. We'll get into like succubi and... As we know European vampires. Yeah, as we know European vampires. Uh, So realistically, as a metaphor, they're very big on, like, just 
there's something that's so sexy about vampires when you think of, like, how they feed and like that. It is this weird, like, almost, like, erotic dance. And it gets a lot of flack from people who really want vampires to be monstrous, of, like, don't waste your food and blah, blah, blah. I kind of hate that because I do like this kind of, like, romantic vampire in a weird way. Because I think we'll talk about this later, but, like, depending on where you come into vampire lore, that very much, like, reflects how you feel about vampires. So, like, if your introduction to vampire lore is, like, Twilight, you might not like Anne Rice all the way. Or if your introduction to vampire lore is, like, Vampire the Masquerade, you might not like Twilight. You just might not like Twilight, really, is what I'm saying. I mean, I mean, I don't, but I don't begrudge people who do. You know, there was a really, really great video that Lindsay Ellis did where it was a giant apology to Stephanie Meyer, uh, basically because I think a lot of the hate that Twilight gets is just society does not like female pleasure. No, they don't like teenage girls being happy about things. Well, yeah, and they just don't like women enjoying things, like, realistically, because, like, that's why, like, I encompass it, because one of the more pervasive aspects of, like, Twilight fandom that I think we forgot, like, the Twilight moms like, these, like, 30 to 40-year-old, like, middle-aged white women who, like, were DTF with this immortal glitter emo. Is that not what he was? No. He's an immortal glitter emo. I mean, same, but, you know. I feel kind of bad for Robert Pattinson, though, because he has tried to distance himself from those movies so hard. I'm not looking forward to him being Batman. Because I'm not either, but I also really haven't liked a Batman since Christian Bale. And I don't like Christian Bale. Yeah. My favorite is Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer with the bat nipples? Yeah. Yeah. As we're off on bat nipples. What's not to like? Uh, One of the interesting things, too, about the sexuality of vampires is they have grown as we have become more and more concerned about sexually transmitted diseases as well. Yeah, there is this almost like a virulency metaphor when it comes to vampirism. And what's fascinating is that you'll often see vampire stories change in response to that. So, like, one of the cool things about, like, reading Anne Rice is that now she almost has this, like, list when characters are going on, like, when they feed. It's like, these are the people that look healthy and stuff like that. I'm like, that's kind of cool. It sounds like a BDSM checklist a little bit of, like, what is allowed? What is okay? What is not okay? Um, Because, like, you don't think about stuff like that. But realistically... Yeah, that would be a problem for anyone when you treat it almost like it is not just a not just a contagious disease, but like as like a bloodborne, I guess, illness. And that's one of the reasons that the women are the most affected and the people on the outskirts. You have an old sea captain, you have small children, (coughs) young women who can't protect themselves, supposedly. Mm -hmm. And Mina gets away with a lot of it because she's the quote new woman, but we'll go into that in a little bit. Right. Um one of the really interesting things is if you watch the 92 version, the Francis Ford Coppola Dracula, they have a, a whole scene with Van Helsing where he's talking about civilization and civilization moving together. He's talking about venereal diseases being connected to the goddess Venus because of sex. And so a lot of that comes through in the Dracula text. And that's one of the reasons that Coppola chose to include that portion it's a lot of that movie is pulling statements from the Victorian era that Stoker would have been involved in. Yeah, A Night with Venus, A Lifetime of Mercury. Mm-hmm. Uh, to explain that reference, uh, to treat syphilis, often mercury was employed. Which, fun fact, don't take mercury for anything. Yeah, it's not, not a good thing. Especially not your syphilis. But, weirdly enough, uh, lead 
which was used a lot in makeup, destroys a lot of bacteria. I mean, it destroys a lot of other things as well. Like, don't eat lead. Yeah, don't. Don't do that. But, like, a, a lot of older cultures used it, like, in makeup for blemishes. It did get rid of blemishes. It also ate flesh. It also got into your bloodstream and eventually killed you, but... Like Queen Elizabeth. But you were pale as fuck. Yeah, and it did get rid of the pimple. It also got rid of your jaw. But, you know, you don't have that pimple anymore. Gross. <laughs> I just... I was... Uh, Lore had a good episode, finally. Wow, that was, that was shady. <laughs> I like him. I don't like his uh, white savior tears. I'm sorry. I'm tired. I don't need another white man telling me how to feel. Pretty sure you can check off the bingo list. Yeah. Uh, but he had a good episode about, like, a uh, like beauty uh, being deadly. And he talked about, like, lead and mercury and makeup. And he wasn't condescending for once. I have a book on that. Yeah. For once, he wasn't condescending. I have a book called Fashion Victims, and it's incredible. It's a breakdown of all the different things that could kill you. Uh, makeup different types of material that were extremely flammable Mm -hmm. in a time period where people used a lot of flames, um, different dyes, green, arsenic green, Paris green being the most familiar. Yeah. Uh, Mauve. There's a great episode. There's a great series in, uh, on BBC called, uh, hidden killers of insert blank home. Uh, it goes from like Tudor to Victorian to like Edwardian. Uh, my favorites are Edwardian and Victorian. The Victorian one is really good. The Victorian one's so good, but I really love the Tudor one as well because I love Tudor history. We're off the walls. Uh, do you want to talk about being afraid of the dark? So fear of the darkness has gone back to the beginning of man. Because um, it's fucking scary. Because everything is scary. If you can't see it, you don't know how to fight it. What's fascinating is that's why we have so many items about you know, the woods, people going into the woods and not coming back because that was a real thing. Um, animals, creatures, anything you couldn't see. And the fact that Dracula and vampires are part of the night. There are things that you can't see and you can't necessarily control. Um, the fact that Dracula has very specific time periods that he's able to do things. Um, noon, dusk, dawn. And then evening is like when he's out all the time. Those but, are also usually when predators are active. Mm-hmm. Um, you also see a lot of that too um, in cultural mythology, especially around demonic entities. Although usually you'll see it like more like three in the morning because that's supposed to be the polar opposite of when Jesus was killed on the cross. Yeah, it said that he passed away at 3 p.m. Uh, also, fun fact, when you go to a Catholic college, you have a call to prayer on every three hours. Seriously? Yeah. Uh, so St. Mary's University, my alma mater, we have a bell tower, the bells of St. Mary's. And the bells do ring every three hours, including three o'clock in the morning. So when your dorm is right next to the bell tower, three o'clock in the morning, you do hear the bells of St. Mary's. A little terrifying. Oh, it's an utter nightmare. Though we don't have any bells anymore, it's actually like a recording, which is very disappointing because I wanted my own Quasimodo. Like fire. Anyway. Like, I really was hoping there were, like, real bells in our bell tower. No, it's just a fucking obelisk. An obelisk with speakers? That's what it is! I was so disappointed. Like, why else go to a Catholic university? What is the other purpose of going to a Catholic university than to be able to LARP basically like Harry Potter? I'm going to throw something in here for themes. No, go ahead. Yes. Um, the new woman is a big thing in here. 
because there was a lot of fear. Um, Mina is safe only because she learns how to do things to help Jonathan. Mm -hmm. If she had been learning to shorthand and things like that just to employ herself, she would have been a threat. The fact that she's doing it to be a help meet to Jonathan Harker at this time period helps ease a bunch of people's fears. I'm going to go ahead and say that Stoker may have had a problem with women. We should, we will definitely be covering that in the history of Stoker. I'm just going to go ahead. This, this might be a hot take. I'm going to go ahead and say, I think he may not have liked women very much. He had a lot of issues. Don't we all? Um, and I'll go into that in a little bit too. You also have in here the tantalizing nature of immortality and fear of death, which is a big one. So dying is scary. It is very scary. It's a, I I think it's one of the things that as humans we don't talk about is a, the word for santophobia, which is the fear of death. Uh, It's inevitability makes it so scary. Is that like, it's something that you can't escape from, which makes anything that can give you immortality very sexy. Anything that can get you out of that circle that you're bound to is very attractive. It's why we like these stories. Um, back in the olden days of like Vampire the Masquerade and like Hierarchies of Hell, where you kind of sort yourself into like vampires, ghouls, werewolves, and stuff like that, it was always telling to know who chose like lichens and werewolves versus who chose vampires. Because like if you look at even like me and my fiction, I am a huge Santaphobe, which means a lot of my characters do have some form of immortality because death is scary. Like I've lost a lot of people in my life very, very young. So anything that I can do to protect life as a writer, I do. So our human fear of dying is what really feeds the vampire mythos. Because realistically, um, the old stories of vampires have very little to do with them sharing any of their power. Right. No old vampire is trying to give away their power. It's just turning you into but the idea that mortals can be swayed into really transcending that veil is a newer invention and a fascinating one that I think reflects something that we as society don't talk enough about because it's our sort of emotional constipation with that fear of death that makes these stories so tantalizing. And during this time period as well was when folks started moving away from home preparations and you know, handling the body themselves and preparing them for burial and started moving towards having an undertaker come and do it. Um, there were people still had wakes, but there was less sitting up for several days and doing it. It was, you had somebody come and remove the body and then you had morning wear and you had morning items to try and take over that place. We don't do that so much as a culture anymore. And that's part of the reason why the fear about death is so prevalent in our culture and in this time period and things like that. Right. And we're also finally, I mean, at the time that Stoker is writing this, uh, not that death is less common, but it is the safest it had been in history for a while. Oh yeah. So people were living longer. I'm using like big old air quotes there longer, uh, healthier again, big old air quotes, but we're not at like the early stages of human society where death was just this thing that was explained and understood. It could be this weird uh, lurking creature that followed houses and brought tragedy. So fear of death is a huge thing that spurs the vampire myth. Um, 
we I think all of us would strive to, for some sort of immortality. Well, what's interesting too is this was really before bacteria concepts were really well known. There was still a lot of belief in miasma theory where bad air would kill you or a curse or something was following your family. So to have a bunch of people in one household die, a lot of people would think they were cursed when really they just had like the flu or some very contagious disease. Yeah, we're going to talk about the New England vampire panic in a minute. Don't worry. I'm a bit of an expert about New England vampire panic. So you have in here making evil sexy. So we see this again from our friend John Milton. Mm-hmm. Um, Bram Stoker. Is he our friend? So so what's... Well, he's kind of... So what's weird in this is Dracula is not sexy in the beginning. No. At all. He no. is a creepy, weird old man in... Transylvania. We'll go into a lot of stuff later about Braun Castle and real stuff. But anyway, um, it's awkward because he's very, very strange, very different. Um, one of my favorite things is when he's going into the whole thing about the Romanovs and the Voyeurs and, and all these these very famous groups of people, especially in Eastern Europe and up near Russia and things like that, and portions of Asia. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about how his people have a right to be proud. Um Stoker wasn't so clear on directions of where people were from. I, he took a lot of things from books that were places he'd never been. Thief. <clears throat> yeah. Um, we're going to go into a lot of that about how he t- stole a lot from uh, one of his, his uh, contemporaries. Yep. But this making evil sexy just started more and more and more and more. The right. women are monsters. The, the female vampires are monsters to Jonathan because he wants to keep his sensibilities and he wants to be honest for Mina. Almost like it was written by a man who has problems with women. Because you know the scariest thing is female sexuality. Women wanting things is terrifying. These ravenous, hungry, thirsty women, predatory. I would love to see Jonathan Harker read thirst tweets. BuzzFeed. No, I would not like that at all. <laughs> I cannot read this. This is disgraceful to Mina. First of all, I also hate that concept because I think he'd look at a phone, screech, and die. Probably. Like I. Fun fact: uh, When I was in college, I wrote like a out of time story where like a Victorian, not Victorian, like a Puritan priest visited my college because I was done and had to write an assignment. I've always hated those stories of like person falling out of time because like I feel like it will never go the way you expect. They would say something horribly racist or horribly sexist, run into traffic, and then die. Like, a, there was the story of this man who said, who was said to have fallen out of the sky, uh, and he had, like, weird clothes on, like, weird, weird clothes on, and was promptly hit by a car. Like, within minutes of him falling from the sky, was hit by a car. So I've never seen the Ancient Aliens episode. Are we going to talk about that, though? Of vampires? Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I sent Tori a message uh, while I was lounging on the sofa this morning. Uh, but, um, yeah, also, I will say this. Uh, other writers did this better. Uh, the writer of Carmilla did this a lot better. Oh, yeah. Of making vampires sexy. Ooh, Lord. Um, but really, without Stoker's foundation, we would never have gotten to, like, an Anne Rice. Right. Which I don't like acknowledging, because Anne Rice hates fan fiction. I love her, though. Do you... Anne Rice helped define my teenage 
years. I mean, I can love her work without loving her. It's how I feel about J.K. Rowling. Fair. I love her work. I don't like Auntie Jo. We're going to move back to... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Tori, Tori, every time I write something for Fangirl Nation, is constantly like, please don't be too mean. I'm like, it's really good. But also, this is too mean. This is just because I used to get death threats. So. And I and I and I utterly respect you for like I. But you know what? I've never gotten a death threat on Fangirl Nation. I've only gotten a death threat on Fanboy Nation. I wish someone fucking would. Like I'm not asking for an invitation, but like that's one of the reasons why like I love writing is being able to like hear my opinions. They're my opinions. If you don't like them, you can leave. Like, I was very surprised that that Joker review did not just implode the website. No, what was fascinating is, so just as a heads up, Amanda wrote an article about the the Joker movie and about now not being the time for it. Um, yeah. It's on fangirlnation.com if you want to go Shameless check plug. it out. Shameless plug. Um, and, and that then, I, and, oh, and more, not to cut you off, but more yeah. importantly, that on like a moral stance, I will not be seeing it because you're burying the lead. What was fascinating was following this about three days later, Vice had an article up. Yep. Um, Slate had an article. Slate had an article. Huffington Post had yeah. an article. Suddenly, all these people had these articles up, and and then we're going, okay, cool. So we're. I mean, I don't. I don't necessarily think any of them saw the website. Oh, absolutely but. not. No, I, I will not jerk myself off that aggressively. In no, in no form or fashion, am I willing to uh, flagellate myself over that. But, but it was kind of nice to not be the only ones yeah uh we're not going to talk about the joker all podcast but it has been fascinating to kind of like because i've had more pushback on my personal twitter about it but people like well like what if it's really good what if what if bitch (laughs) put that on a t-shirt like well like oh my god so uh, a a a colleague of mine shared it like in one of his like a fan like discussion groups and just guy after guy after guy was like well what if like Someone you trust really likes it. Not going to go see it. Well, what if it's good? Not going to see it. Like, the idea, I guess, of, like, having conviction and sticking to it is so, like... Well, it's also something for for women, and I'm going to go into this. We're kind of expected as a culture to cave to what our male friends want. Yeah. Or our husbands. Yes. Or boyfriends. Yes. Or partners want. Yes. Um... Which is not as common now, or it's it's becoming less common, mm-hmm. but it's still something that we have to fight. Mm-hmm. Mark and I have very different views on a few things. Yeah. Now, for the important stuff, we're we're in alignment, which is important. But there are times where he'll be like, "I think that this is wrong." I go into this whole thing, and I'm like, "Well, here are the following eighteen other points to combat that." Mm-hmm. And we have to have times where we admit, like, "I can't follow you on this." Mm-hmm. Um. But keep doing what you're doing, because obviously it's important to you. Yeah. Uh, So I was very, very shocked that I did not implode our entire website with that, uh, because I was worried that I was going to implode our entire website with that. Oh, I was waiting for comments, and then nothing came through, and I was like, all right. I mean, I guess it's because, like, we have really, like, tailored an audience that is going to be respectful regardless. And Like, I do really appreciate that. I will give a shout out to our Fangirl Nation fans and girls who write for us. You guys are amazing. the fact that you are so respectful with your opinions is great. Mm-hmm. 
Because, like, realistically, like, no other place could you publish. Like, no other place could, like, me as a queer woman of color could I publish that and, like, not be thrown to the wolves. Right. Like, uh, I know, like, Channel Awesome had that problem with some of their editorials. Like, uh, Nostalgia Critic and stuff like that. But, like, uh, Obscura Lupa or, like, Lindsay Ellis would, like, have an air quotes hot take and just would be, like, thrown into a pit and just, like, right. you're on your own. Um, do you want to talk about being afraid of aristocrats? Oh, this is a big thing. Um, this would have been about the time... After the time period <coughs> of um, the French Revolution, right? Yes, I was gonna say because this is late eighteen hundreds. I mean, we've had like a hundred years, so yeah. like um, we're we're Napoleonicish. Napoleonicish. So people are not comfortable, especially if you're impoverished with the aristocracy, and that's a big thing with Jonathan Harker. Jonathan Harker is very. He becomes middle class. Um, he starts off struggling. There's a lot of discussion about him not being able to marry Mina because he's too poor and her being like, I don't care. Like, we're fine. I'll work. You'll work. We'll get this moving, which was not normal at the time period. No. So Jonathan Harker's response is, is understandable for the time period. Um, the fact that he is willing to go to a foreign country to try and take care of this wealthy client and then suddenly is attacked by all of these very creepy things. Stoker was not a wealthy man. Stoker had a very, very hard time making and keeping money. Um, his family as well. They moved a lot when he was a kid. Um, so it's it's understandable that the lack of trust of the aristocracy. He was very tied into the theater community and the writing community, neither of which made much money. It's not like today where, you know, you get a million dollars for filming four scenes. It's if you're like the Avengers cast. I was like, could, but, you fe- could you feel the look I just gave yes, you? Yes, I like, could feel it. And then I looked over and I'm like, oh. Like who? Um, but I mean, as an actor, you were constantly doing things. He wasn't an actor. He was a stage manager. He was a theater manager. And he was the longtime companion of, I believe it's Henry Irving or Irving Henry. Henry Irving. Um, we'll go into that too. But uh, he didn't trust the aristocracy. He trusted the people he was close with. Um, and you'll see a lot of that, too, is Lucy fails dramatically, but, and she's wealthy. But Mina is upheld because she is, you know, she's smart and she's capable and she doesn't need to rely on money, which is really weird because Lucy doesn't do anything wrong. Lucy is constantly thrown under the bus in every adaptation as being a slut. It's almost like this is a writer who has a problem with women. What's fascinating, I was doing some research. A lot of people believe that Lucy is loosely based on Elizabeth Siddle, who was the eventual wife of Dante Gabriel Rossetti. Um, She was buried with Rossetti's book of poetry. It was like his handwritten poetry. And then years later, I want to say it was like 14 years later, they dug her up to get the poetry because Rossetti was going to publish. And they went to this grave in Highgate Cemetery and dug her up. And there's all sorts of rumors about how her hair was wrapped around the book. And I believe it's Stoker who made the discussion that, um, I think he wrote a story or somebody wrote a story about a woman whose hair just keeps growing and growing and growing and growing after she dies. And it like smothers everything. And a lot of that was taken from Siddle. Um, Elizabeth Siddle is maligned a lot. Um, She's accused of (laughs) from her time period, 
the fact that she wasn't married to Rossetti initially is a big deal. And it's actually something that drove to a lot of her health issues as well. Um, other than the fact that she was also in a bathtub full of ice cold water for a painting and uh, was trying to take it so seriously that she didn't tell anybody that the lights had burned out. So she was freezing, but that's neither here nor there. Um, so there's, there's a lot of belief that the description of Lucy with her fiery red hair, subtle same, um, her, you know, her, the way that she kind of floats about these men that feels very much like the vilification of Elizabeth Siddle or Lizzie as really everybody called her. I have very delicate pores. I just realized that. I know it's gorgeous. I also apologize to you because I know I'm starting to sound lush. It's good. <laughs> it's good. Is there a problem? The sangria is the life. Uh, which leads us to blood is a life source. The sangria is our life. Is our life source right now. Okay. Resident Catholic. Hi. Hi. Blood is the life. Blood is life. Uh, so, in Ancient Aliens... <laughs> Let us segue into Ancient Aliens. Well, so there was, like, this whole chapter in Ancient Aliens. There was a whole Ancient Aliens episode on uh, vampires and aliens, which I thought was hilarious. Because out of the two things that I don't think mix are vampires and aliens. Like, vampires and Bigfoot, okay, sure, whatever. Vampire, uh, aliens and plagues, sure. Aliens and, like, monsters, got it. Aliens and vampires, eh. I think on Earth we got that locked down. We don't need uh, Nibiru vampires. That's not a thing we need. Now I'm super uncomfortable. I'm going to go get my tinfoil helmet. Right. Uh, but there was this whole discussion about uh, like how the unique properties of blood really make it like this. Because you can't like really recreate it. Like There's not like a good recreation of blood that you can do. True blood has not been invented. Well, but, like, even if you look at, like, any story with vampires and there's, like, a blood supplement, like, a blood pill or a blood powder, it's still never as good as feeding. Right. I love that I said that like I'm a real vampire. I have some concerns. It's just never as good. I'm gonna open that damn window. It's just never as good. You just, you can't beat fresh squeezed. Uh. Oh my god. It's like Blade have this image of you like squeezing somebody's like neck into a jar can't breathe fresh squeezed yeah i'm pretty much a deacon frost from blade where you just have like a second fridge full of like eligible bachelors okay side yes. note that was the dumbest plan ever to try and turn everyone into a vampire what are you going to eat you a-hole yeah it is a very dumb plan because vampires can't feed from vampires because there's no nutrients in the blood uh so like tangent aliens that was an important aspect of, like, the vampire myth, was that there's something in blood that you kind of can't uh, recreate. And that makes sense. So there's this idea with vampires of blood-sucking. of Because realistically, the blood part's pretty recent. It used to just be that they sucked life or life force. Uh, the blood is pretty new. Uh, I think... Around the Carmilla times is when we start thinking about it being, like, more blood distinctly. But typically with vampirism, it's more of a an air sort of thing. As you're taking life force and spirit. Can I help you? I just, I was thinking about, you know, you see those paleontology things that are like Triassic period, Jurassic period. And all I can think of is Carmilla period. <laughs> yeah, the Carmilla times. Uh, my favorite period of history where there's just lesbian vampires. 
Right, exactly. Um, so the blood part's new, but it makes sense. Uh, as your resident Catholic, uh, apparently every Sunday I'm supposed to drink blood. Uh, the blood of Christ. Um, blood symbolism is a thing in almost every culture because it is sacred to our lives. If we lose too much of it, we die. It's not a good thing. It's really not. There's nothing quite like uh, standing up and feeling faint. I will say, when I directed it to you, I thought we were going to go into Catholicism, and then it was ancient aliens, and I was okay with it. I mean, the Catholic part of it's boring. <laughs> aliens are way more interesting than Catholicism. Is it? Tell me about your candles and chants. Uh, I mean, do you want to talk about all the different candles on the Advent wreath? I'm a Lutheran. We have a very, very boring... You have a wreath? I think we have a wreath. Are there, are there we two different... We never did things? it at... at we, I was like kind of the... Evangelical Synod, so oh, we were like, I want an Advent wreath. So we have three purple candles and a pink candle. It's very posh. Is the pink candle Jesus? I think it is, actually. Okay. I don't remember all the colors because uh, when it comes to Advent now, I'm usually drunk. I think it's like, Angels, Annunciation, Visitation. I don't know. Carolyn would know. Magi ship. Magi stuff is awesome. It's why I get to keep my Christmas tree up until January. Yep, because of the uh, Feast of the Assumption? No, that's not it. Sorry. Pull that back. Um, the Feast of the Three Kings? Yes, the Feast of the Magi. They come to visit uh, baby Jesus in the manger. I'm just saying, I lost something going to an evangelical church. Did you? Do you want to go uh, count beads on a necklace in a garden? Yes. Because that's how I spend most of my weekends, is in a field with a necklace counting beads. I feel like a corrupting influence, because now you spend them drinking with me and talking about literature. I mean, spoiler alert, I probably would be doing this on my own anyways. At least the drinking part. Um, so yeah, blood, uh, chemically, spiritually, everything is very, very important. Which is why it makes sense that a predator, like a vampire, would target that part of you. Um, and that's also what makes them so scary, is that they are willing to take this thing from you that is so important. Because uh, I guess it's not scary if they're going after, like, semen and stuff. Like, I guess that's not scary enough. Well, unless you're a priest and it's an incubi or a succubi. Yeah, but that's... Both. But to quote community, not but did you die? Yes. Yeah. Did you die? Like, that's not going to kill you. Is that where I got that from? Yeah, it's from community. But did you die... Like, that's not going to kill you. Now, like, someone, like, wringing you dry of your blood, that 100% will kill you. It actually takes, this is where I sound like a murderer, a shockingly low amount of blood loss to die. Mm -hmm. It's actually um, why there's all these programs now, like, Stop the Bleed and stuff like that, is it's attempting to get people to stop blood gushing out of a human body while emergency services get there. Like I did when I sliced my thumb open. I'm still surprised that you were like, let me just wrap my thumb and go to Walmart. Yeah. It bled for 30 minutes, which apparently is not good. No, that's really bad. It bled for about 30 minutes. Did you hit an artery? Uh, you can feel the scar on my thumb. I have concerns. I have many concerns. <laughs> now I feel like I should have just been like, I'm coming to your apartment to pick you up. Well, but I didn't tell you. That was the problem. I just showed up with, like, a bandaged thumb. You're like, I made peach cobbler. What the hell? 
I also almost lost a finger. Uh, I don't think, have I told that story on the podcast? I don't know. So I I sliced my thumb open making peach cobbler. And I, yeah, I bled for about 30 minutes. I promptly drove myself to Walmart, bought bandages, a cut safe glove, and some Cheetos. Because I have priorities. Listen, Cheetos are helpful. Yeah, because I have priorities. Um, And then I resumed uh, slicing peaches because I had a cobbler to make. I was mostly upset at the inconvenience of having to stop baking. Injury is very inconvenient. Like, I have a really small scar on my thumb uh, where I cut myself opening up a can of sweetened condensed milk. And I spent the entire time with my hand under the sink, like, but the pie. Please, please check on the pie. The pie did not burn. I can see this. Yes. Uh... So I'm not attached to my own blood. I don't care. But I imagine that if I was a Victorian lass and with all the health problems that I have, I would probably be much more defensive of a creature of the night trying to seduce me into getting my blood. I like my blood in my own body. Can it stay there? We're biologically female. We don't have control over that. Same. So there are, I mean, this book has been around for some time. So there are a lot of theoretical readings as well. Yeah, there are some theoretical readings. Um, this goes into a little bit of the fear of the aristocracy, but there's a cool Marxist reading. There's this idea that um, the aristocracy is literally bleeding the poor dry, especially because like Count Dracula is like old money. He's very old money, and he doesn't have to do anything to achieve this wealth. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he like gambles or like has like stock market stuff. I don't know. I think he just kills peasants. You think so? Pretty much. Maybe he's like an investor in like the spikes trade. So a fascinating part in the beginning with the St. George's Day stuff with the blue flames that mm-hmm. they keep stopping at. Mm-hmm. The belief was that the day before St. George's Day was when the evil of the world could roam freely. And that these blue flames were sites where money was buried. So maybe Dracula was like, yeah, I need like an extra 500. I'm just going to go dig up this pile under this blue flame. Right. Maybe that's why they were stopping. Right, or, I don't know, maybe he, like, has a spice boat. Maybe they're, like, vampire traders. Maybe he's a part of the East India Company. Uh, East India Company is not a good thing. Yeah, they're also vampires, that's why I made the reference. Anyway, <laughs> that's... Uh, so that that's your Marxist reading. Uh, there's a queer reading, because, uh... Gonna go ahead and say there's a lot of uh, a lot of phallic stuff with vampirism. One of the things that I find really interesting about this book too is the fact that all these guys are so uncomfortable with the transfusion process later because Arthur Holmwood is like, I donated my blood to her. Now I feel like we are truly married as man and wife, and everybody else is like, Yeah, we gave her blood too. Um, it's kind of like splitting it up, I guess. I'm like, you can't really slut it up if you're dying. I mean, that's never stopped some people. I am getting flashbacks to Fight Club. Anyway. See? Um, but yeah, there's a... I mean, especially when you talk about, like, the biting part of vampirism is very erotic. Because that, again, is also fairly recent. Because it used to just be this sort of, like, uh, hand magic, like, wafting clouds of energy out of people. Or, like, just straight up having sex with, like, succubi and stuff like that. Uh, but the idea of, like, the biting and the sucking and the licking and all that stuff is just very, like, overtly erotic. 
It's hard, too, because I keep wanting to say the fictional vampire, not the people in New Orleans who actually practice blood drinking. Not just in New Orleans. Yeah, but that's where they always do the documentaries. Why? I mean, I know why, but, like, that's that's offensive to, like, vampires in, like, Arizona, I'm sure. I demand representation for Massachusetts vampires. Our vampires in Montana, give us a shout-out. Yeah, if you're, if you're a vampire in any of the other... Uh, Cities or states, please let us know. Wisconsin, we know you're all, you're not all just Dahmer. I mean, they're mostly just Dahmer. Oh no! Where don't they stay lie? Oh my god! Where is lie? Are we gonna go into some vampire history and symbolism? Do you want to talk about feminism? Um, yes, always. That's kind of a problem with me. So there is also a feminist reading. Uh, because it is sort of kind of aggressively anti-sex and anti-women in places. So the idea of, like, why that's a thing makes it, like, that that's what the feminist discourse around it is. And also the idea that, like, for women having to guard your virtue and having to, like, protect yourself, I gestured, but, like, having to protect all of your everything. I'm just saying, garlic works wonders. Eating a lot of garlic. Get away from me. Brad Leone has a theory about garlic and vampires that I think is fascinating. Hmm. Uh, so Brad Leone, who does a, It's Alive with Bon Appetit, which is if you need like a balm in this hellscape of a world, It's Alive with Brad Leone might be the purest thing on the internet. Uh, and he has this whole theory with vampires that uh, he's really big on garlic because garlic, when it's damaged, produces this thing called allicin. And allicin... Uh, helps really, like, kickstart the microbial process and, like, promotes healing and stuff like that. It's, like, the healing factor in garlic. So he thinks that vampires can't handle garlic because it's so uh, naturally, like, antibacterial and anti, like, disease and, like, very, very healing. So that might be where a lot of that comes from. It's also hella pagan. Let's just go ahead and get that out of the way. But, like, I love that kind of, like, pseudoscientific answer to why vampires can't handle garlic. The real answer is it's pagan, but, you know. That's too simple. So one of the things we kind of didn't include in themes is Quincy P. Morris, who I love desperately because he is a Texan. Um, is a lot why of, there is a lot of fascination in England and Scotland and Ireland about the United States at that time period, as well as Texas, because Texas was a country for a while, as we've definitely mentioned on this show and we will tell you every chance we get all the time there was an embassy in london for texas but okay who was going i don't know what i i did really appreciate um in this book was how many times people made references to oh, if all texans are like quincy p morris we're in pretty good hands absolutely not in good hands well it wasn't modern texas um, but it's, it's fascinating because I mean, you've got to understand Scotland has its own branch of the Grand Ole Opry. I'm not making that up. I found that out when I was living there. Like it's amazing. Kids in England used to play cowboys and Indians. But why? Because they're kids. As a Texan, this stuff is also so trite to me. I would much rather play like kings and queens. But see, to them, that's old hat. 
poor old crown. <laughs> Please don't quit the podcast. Um, <laughs> I think I'm too lush to quit the podcast. You're there's, stuck here until we order tacos. There's like an entire half bottle of brandy in here. Oh shit, do you want tacos? What? Are you trying to... Is, is this Castle Dracula? Are you trying to seduce me with wine and food? So the first time Amanda ever came to our house... I have this tendency to lock the door behind me every time somebody comes into the house. I was convinced that I was in, like, a remake of Get Out. I was concerned. <laughs> I was like, these white people are going to kill me. I had to explain, no, 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 I'm not trying to trap you. This door is really easy to open. Um, I, I was concerned. I don't live in an unsafe neighborhood, but I don't live in a super safe neighborhood. You make good choices, like you don't leave your keys in the car. It's San Antonio. No place is safe. Yeah. We can talk about food later. Do you want to talk about uh, vampire history? I do. So, every culture has a life force sucking creature or blood sucking creature. Yes, hello, I'm Amanda von Helsing and I will be your guide through the world of killing vampires. So, Do you, shall we tell the story of Amanda von Helsing? Amanda van Helsing, lawyer, attorney at law? Yes. So, like, I, as I was writing, like, this part of the outline, I was like, why do I know so much about vampires and vampire killing? And that was just, like, something that came to me and Tori messaged me back. Like, that is brilliant. Yes. So the official nickname is Amanda Van Helsing, attorney at law. Yep. Here to uh, put a stake through crime. Oh, my God. No. Can I quit the podcast? No, I'm just kidding. No, you can't. So. Uh, But, yeah, every culture. So one of the things I love about cryptozoology, the study of monsters and creatures that may not be real. Wait, you like cryptozoology? I love cryptozoology. Uh, I know, shocker, is, like, cultural universality that, like, every culture has a Bigfoot. That's fascinating. Every culture has a dragon. That's fascinating. Because then that tells me what were people seeing that consistently made them think large, upright, hairy creature in woods? What were they seeing that consistently was, like, weird ship-sinking sea monster? Now, I am in the field of cryptozoology where I think a lot of this stuff is not as prevalent as it once was. Like, I think, like, modern Bigfoot sightings are a little bit sketch because, like, there's really a not a, there's not a lot of our woods that has gone unexplored. But culturally, there is always a creature that is sucking life or blood from people, whether it's the succubus or the incubus, which is really after sex and sexual energy. Or you have the Lamia in ancient Greece, which was like a proto-succubus. It was very, very chill. And by very, very chill, I mean it had zero chill at all. Much like me. Uh, a very, very anxious succubus. I just have this image. Like, that's, that's the new thing. We're going to make a TV show. I'm copywriting it. Yeah. Um, so the idea that... The, well, so here's the fascinating part. Most of these myths are very, like, centered around women. Most of these figures are females, like the Lamia is female, the succubus is female. Even the incubus, which is the male version, is usually just a succubus who, like, stole a penis. That is real. First of all, no one told me that stealing a penis was an option. Uh, so the ancient uh, stories of witches who ride brooms is actually just a version of witches riding phalluses. Uh, because they could steal penises and keep them as pets and, like, tend to them like you would flowers in a garden. So, you, like, you take a penis from a garden and you, like, make it big and, like, you hop on it and then you fly on it. First of all, I want to know where this penis garden is. 
Uh, well, it'd be in your witch's garden. So, like, you'd have, like, your, like, witch herbs and stuff, and then you have, like, the penis garden next to it. Yes. I'd kill everything. I could not help keep a penis garden alive. Just these shriveled, sad, dying penises in the garden. Sorry, honey. I See, I tend to flowers very well when I have, like, a blossoming penis garden. You keep it on the porch of your apartment. Oh, God. My cactus is going to have competition. No. Uh, so the fact that this was once very, very female-driven is, I mean, it's sexist. It's the idea that women are scary and they're parasitic and stuff like that. So kind of inverting this on its head and making this very, like, male-driven is, well, it's in its own weird way misogynistic because then it takes that power away from women because that, like, feminine mystique was scary and in a lot of cultures, then made women respectable. So, like, um, in ancient Sumerian culture, uh, it was thought that, like, almost all women were witches in a form. So you had to be nice to them, otherwise they could, like, curse you. A lot of cultures actually had that. But basically, um, also, uh, like, Viking culture had that. Like, women were the ones that could, like, do math and do numbers, which means that they were witches, which means they had to be nice to them. Yes, this is true. So, kind of taking that power away from women and making it male-driven is in its own weird way sexist uh but also really really cool because then it gains this like new phallic aspect with like the biting and the sucking and the licking and all that stuff uh, i wrote a lot of vampire fan fiction if you can't tell by my everything by your mere existence yeah if you can't to quote john mulaney if you can't tell by my everything i wrote a lot of vampire fan fiction um Vampires as symbols are usually, um, it's usually almost, like, raw sexual energy, but also, like, this really, really big, like, predatory energy as well, uh, a likening vampires to, like, wolves and stuff like that. Which is interesting, because until Stoker wrote about his version of a vampire turning into a wolf His bad Cornilla fanfiction. Um, this was never really a big popular idea that was more related to things like werewolves and shapeshifters and things like that yeah because um and what's fascinating is that you'll see a lot of like cryptids doing like double duty so you have like the chupacabra which is part bloodsucker and part like just hell beast he likes goats well our chupacabra in texas doesn't just like goats our chupacabra in texas looks like a diseased coyote but it is real have you not seen it? I've never seen it other than the picture that popped up of the... Uh... So Dr. Phyllis Canyon, she lives in Quero. Uh, she found the beast and had it taxidermied, and it lives in her house. Well, it's, it's dead, but, like, the thing is in her house. It exists in her home. It exists in her... She didn't, she didn't necromance it, and it keeps guard over her house. I want to hang out with her now. Dr. Phyllis Canyon, she is a real woman. She's a veterinarian and a nutritionist. And, yeah, she has... Like, the taxidermy body of the Texan chupacabra, which is different than the Puerto Rican chupacabra in multiple ways. I realize that Texas is a weird place because we also have things like the Jaguarundi. Yeah. And the uh, and Whitley Stryber is from out near San Antonio. We have two goat men. Donkey lady. Yeah. Well, we imported that one. And La Llorona we imported for sure. Yeah, but the goat man, that's, that's all us. We have two goat men. Both are in North Texas, which is where I'm from. Hell, Texas. I mean, when you have this much space, I'm not surprised that we have monsters. Um, so let's talk about the New England Vampire Panic. Yay! 
Yay! So the New England Vampire Panic is something that happened, obviously, in New England, with one family in the mm, 1700s, where it was 1700s. No, I'm just trying to get the family name. I don't remember. Look, we've had a lot of sangria. This is delicious sangria. Um, and basically it started with uh, a lady dying, as all good stories start with. And what ended up happening is that increasingly people around this lady dying started to die. The family began to wither. So the idea was, hey, there's some fuckery afoot. Let's figure this shit out. So they dig up the original lady and they find that she isn't as decomposed as they like. Her hair still looks good. And it appears to be that there is this red liquid uh, draining from the corner of her mouth. Um, Get this, one of the victim's last name was Burton. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, they find this lady, and they're like, hey, this is a vampire, we got ourselves a vampire, let's fuck shit up. Which is what all vampire hunters say. So they uh, decapitate her, place her head between her knees and cross her arms, and then move her body in a weird way, because that's how you prevent further vampires. And uh, apparently the curse was broken. The curse was tuberculosis. Or as they knew it back in the olden times was consumption. Consumption, which is not a sexy disease. I mean, there's zero part of tuberculosis that's sexy, except for in Tombstone. With okay. Doc Holliday. Doc Holliday was beautiful, but that's just, again, back to Val Kilmer and his bad nipples. Val Kilmer, I will 100% sleep with you. That's not just the sangria talking. Okay. They actually did a Tombstone uh, movie showing Alamo Drafthouse did in an abandoned ghost town in Texas with Val Kilmer. Was I around for this? I wish I was. Anyway. I think it was expensive. So the New England Vampire Panic, I just looked it up, was like Connecticut, Rhode Island area. New England. New England. Yeah. We're going to go to Rhode Island and see the vampires. Actually, you can. Uh, I mean, I don't recommend it. But at that time, the panic was consumption. And... Tuberculosis as a disease is horrifying. Uh, you get very, very weak. It's a chronic illness of the lungs. Um, you cough up blood. Um, it's very contagious. So if you don't have an understanding of uh, virology, if you just have all of this blood and mucus all over the place that is infected with the tuberculinum bacteria, then you're spreading the virus. And it looks like a vampire plague takes over because you have these people who are just wasting away. Um, as someone with like chronic lung issues, tuberculosis sounds awful. Oh, it's terrible. It's um, absolutely terrible. Which is why when I false positive, it was horrifying. Yeah, I remember you telling me about the no, no. Mm -hmm. I still have the scar from it. How? Yeah. So I false positive on a tuberculosis test because um, I'm anemic, and if you stab me in the arm, I'll probably bruise. Good news, I am not even a passive carrier for tuberculosis. Hooray, because I really don't want that. Well, that was a passive carrier. I mean, we'd have to, I'd either have to be like coughing into your mouth or like aggressively kissing a lot, which, much to my chagrin, it's not happening. Aww. My husband is downstairs. Every time we go upstairs to record, we go... Bye, honey. We're going to do witchcraft or we're going to go do gay stuff. Yeah. Which you know I what? think is a joke. You know what? He never looks up from his computer, which never. is my favorite. Like, I think he's just, I don't know. He's just reached the point where he's like, I know who you're coming home to. 
on my way to steal your girl. Okay, Lizzo. (laughs) I mean, I wish I was half as attractive as Lizzo. She's gorgeous, man. Just a stunning creature. I think you're gorgeous, too. Oh, my God, thank you. I'm also biased, so. Is this going to be the new Carmilla? So let's talk about Carmilla. Oh, wait, no. We no, we have to talk about how to kill vampires. Uh, uh, okay. I'm sorry. Amanda Van Helsing, tell us how to kill a vampire. Uh, so, killing a vampire. It didn't used to be super religious. Uh, basically, the New England vampire panic helped make it super religious. The idea of using, like, crosses and, like, inverting the body and stuff like that. All of that is basically just how do we make sure that the dead stay dead. Fun fact. Uh... If you do not believe in vampires as a creature, a lot of what most people assume are symptoms of vampirism or just decomposition. Mm-hmm. Like the whole your fingernails looking like they're growing, it's just because your nail beds are rescinding. Yeah, or like hair looking like it's still growing. Your teeth looking like they elongate, it's because your mouth is pulling inward. Yeah, your gums recede. Mm-hmm. Uh, blood dripping from the mouth is usually just bile and stomach fluid, which is being pushed up because of gases. We didn't put a trigger warning in this, I just realized. I mean, I can put it in the notes. We talk a lot about putrefaction, I'm sorry. Uh, but, like, so if you don't understand that, like, human decomposition and you, like, opened up a corpse, like, a, a grave, not a corpse, and you saw that, you'd be like, this person isn't dead. This person is walking amongst us. Is it bad that the Scottish part of me is like, yeah, you know, if you're stealing them from the graveyard to take them to a medical school? Please don't burk anyone. No burking and herring. Do I get points for that reference? You do. Thank for you. for those of you who don't know who Burke and Hare are, they were two uh, gentlemen in Scotland. With gentlemen is not the nice word. Let's say were they gentlemen? Um, who initially made money by stealing grave or stealing bodies from graves and giving them to the medical grave. schools. They just took the dirt and then started killing people and delivering them to medical schools because it was easier than digging up a grave. And they got caught, and I believe it is Burke's body that was turned into a wallet. The skin of a wallet. It's a oh, or hold, a, a notebook or something. Hold, it's in in. Hold the fuck on. What? I'm gonna have to look this up and put it in the show notes. This is new information. I knew about they, the murder. They took his skin and they turned it into a, a, a special present for fucking what? Just because. I mean, like this is what you do. There was some guy in Texas who got killed and they turned him into shoes. I don't like this. I'm going to have to go back and listen to this while editing and, like, pull out all the references that we've made. God damn it. Okay, so To Kill a Vampire... You're telling me, like, an hour and a half of this. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Okay, so To Kill a Vampire, you usually need a steak, you usually need some holy water, and you need some garlic. Uh, Garlic is hella pagan because of their... The fact that they're bulbs, they tend to sort of, like, regenerate. Uh, Bulbs are really, really popular in pagan mythology. That's why uh, lilies are so common around Easter. They lie dormant for a while, and then they regrow pretty but don't give them to your cats no they're very deadly because cats will eat them and die and that's very sad it is uh you realistically don't give your cats plants that aren't cat plants also points ideas don't give them to your cats don't give them to any pet they're bad they're really bad um so there's a lot of catholic mysticism as well in killing vampires so if you don't know your catholic mysticism i'm sorry you're screwed uh get yourself a steak uh grave dirt is also usually pretty good you can get that uh, anything that ties the vampire back to death is usually important. Uh, destroying the original grave. It's really easy to get holy water. I was going to say, you do realize I have that last rites cross on the wall. I do. We're protected. We're okay. 
I know the blessing to make holy water, so. Sweet. Amanda Von Helsing. Um, Attorney at law. Steaks are usually good because when you think about, like, uh, the death of Christ, there was the spear of destiny that stabbed Christ in the side to make sure that he was done. I mean, dead. I have a question for you. I've always believed it was one thing that when you do communion, if they hold the mirror under you, that's to show that you're not dead and that you're not a revenant or anything like you have a reflection showing back, right? I'm sorry, what? You see it sometimes in older movies where they'll have the mirror. I don't know. It's, it's weird. I've always seen it with like these weird Catholic movies where they'll have like the mirror close by when they do communion to make sure. I have they don't never been presented with a mirror and I've been a practicing Catholic for 30 years. Okay. I don't know. Man. It's in movies. Is this like Lutheran propaganda to make Catholics seem extra monstrous? Well, also they used to put a, a mirror under your mouth when you were dying to make sure that you weren't like, if you were still breathing onto it. Well, yeah, I knew that alive. part. But like, okay. So I, I didn't know if that was part of it or I don't know. Yeah, that sounds like Lutheran propaganda to scare people against Catholics. Listen, we don't have time for propaganda. We're too busy making Jello. Or Lutefisk. Wow, I can talk, I swear. I'm never making sangria again. No, you're making sangria all the time. <laughs> this is almost as bad as the mead, man. I think this almost is as bad as mead. I'm, like, I'm, I'm kind of in that position where I'm like, should we go get the drinking horn? No, we can't. It's downstairs in the sink. No, we can't. Um, so vampires being a phobic of light is rooted in Christian myth because uh, unholy things cannot be seen by God's light. Also, uh, John Milton, thank you for that. And by thank you, I mean fuck you. Uh, older myths of vampires have them just kind of like running around whenever. Like, it didn't matter. Uh, it's easier to do things under the cover of night. Um, but, like, most older vampire myths just had them kind of like wandering around it didn't really matter the idea of like a vampire and like 1 p.m at the at the farmer's market just oh my gosh at starbucks getting a pumpkin cream getting yeah yeah would, would, would a vampire appreciate a pumpkin spice latte i don't know they might like the cold brew uh no they don't they don't like cold blood anyway what do pumpkins bleed what are you talking i don't know ma'am uh, god damn it. So, some stuff to keep in mind. Penny Dreadfuls was not just a TV series that no one watched. I watched it because I love Eva Green, but that's neither here nor there. Barney the Vampire was a That very, sounds like a porn. I know, right? It's a very, 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 very popular Penny Dreadful of the time. Basically like a cheap book. Um, Stoker evidently had a well-worn copy he used for material details of vampires. Thief! It was actually published the year he was born, 1847. Thief. Thief. Carmilla. So you, I lent you my copy of Carmilla. I need to give it back to you because it's on my bedside table. Holy crap, I sat down and read this in one fell swoop. It's very short. It's hot. <laughs> yes, it is. It's really good. It is. Uh, can we just say that Stoker's a thief? Oh my god. So even down to the fact that um, their cousin is like Mrs. It starts with an R and it sounds almost exactly like Renfield. So something to keep in mind, um, the contemporary or his contemporary Stokers was Lefanyu, who wrote Carmilla. Um, he worked for the paper that Lefanyu owned. Yes. He had another one of his books that he was obsessed with and underlined all the passages of and would tell Lefanyu that he loved it. 
Yeah. So, so let's just go ahead and call Stoker a thief. Because Carmilla did a lot of the things that Dracula does, I think, more successfully. Like Carmilla does a better job of like those sexual stakes and like laying that groundwork of like vampires being like these immortal creatures who are honestly just kind of like lonely. It almost reads like Twilight in places, which is really kind of like melodramatic. Or like what Anne Rice thinks she is, which is thoughtful and kind. You What's, like Anne Rice's work. You don't like Anne Rice. I met her. She was nice. To you. To me. Just to me. I like her son a lot better. But that's a whole other story. Huh? Like, have you had a tryst with the Anne Rice? No, son? he's 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 gay. He's, he doesn't he doesn't play for my team. That's perfectly fine. Um. So, where was I going with this? That's beautiful. We're talking about Carmilla a lot. I know. Um. There are entire passages about. Carmilla having attacked a that the family member who died and then her her caretaker coming and being like, I will avenge her death. I will not rest until I kill him. Said exactly like that. Said exactly like that. Um, strange portraits hanging out in the home. Um, history. Realizing that someone has grown young. That kind of crap. Yes. Um, if you haven't read Carmilla, Highly recommend it. Way shorter than Dracula. Um, if you read really fast, you could read it in like 35 minutes. I'm also going to say I think it's better than Dracula. It's shorter, sweeter. There are lesbian lot, vampires. There are lesbian vampires. So, I mean, there you go. Well, I mean, to be fair, at the time period, Victorian women were very well known as being very close bosom friends and things like that, which may have been a cover-up for some stuff. We won't go Anyway, we've already talked about St. George's Day. We've already we talked about Quincy Morris. We did. Uh, we've already talked about the new woman. We we've did. already talked about transfusions and xenophobia. But we haven't talked about xenophobia we that haven't much. haven't enough. Okay. So there's always a fear of outsiders because that's what societies do is we're afraid of people that don't look like us, which is why uh, Stoker did the thing that Shakespeare does a lot where if we're going to have a biting satire of a thing, put it somewhere far away so we put it in transylvania which is no longer a place which he found in a book yes at the library yes and it kind of like reflects this idea of invasion the idea of these creatures who are foreign and strange and infect a good european society there's a lot of otherism in it as well Xenophobia is bad. Just stop it. Anglo-Saxonism is afraid of Slavic. They're afraid of everyone, honestly, because at that stage in history, they were kind of just afraid of everyone. Do you want to talk about the historical Dracula? Okay, so here's where we need to clean up some myths. Wait, what? Stoker stole the name. He stole Dracula. Latavish was a real person. He was. He's considered to be a hero in um, certain parts of Romania and Moldova. Eh, he's a he's a cult hero in the way that like some Romans like to claim the bad emperors. I'm not going to call him a hero. He's a cultural figure. He's like a super murderous Pontrovia. Um, he's like a Stalin. He killed a lot of people, and he killed them by impaling. Not but just by impaling. Not just by impaling. But there are things you also have to understand. At that time period, if you wanted to discredit 
historical figure, you made them into a psychotic murderer. Okay. But Vlad Tepes deserved every bit of the... So, typically with history, you get people who are sort of, like, wrongly maligned. This guy, if anything, we threw a softball at him, and then we realized how bad he really was. There was a story of um, Turkish emissaries visiting Vlad, and he was actually held captive by Turkish uh, well, for a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. And they taught him how to fight, stuff like that. It was crazy, because his dad sold him onto slavery. It was a whole thing. So, Turkish seminaries came back from the Ottoman Empire, and they refused to remove their turbans. Vlad, being very, very, very Christian, which no one believes, but very Christian, took huge offense to that, and he had the turbans nailed to their heads and sent them back to their homeland. Like, he was a... So if you can find this episode, there is an episode of Deadliest Warrior that is Sun Tzu versus Vlad the Impaler. And the two experts, I use air quotes, are Vlad the Impaler. One of them is my future husband. And he is a man of about five foot five with black nail polish who is just really gothy and is having too much fun. And the other guy looks like a fucking like Swedish metal band lead singer with long black hair, also with painted black nail polish, and was like the impaling expert and like impaled like a gel torso. Uh, the two experts for the Vlad team are amazing. That shorter guy, I will marry if you're listening. I am 100% DTF. Um, hi. Hi. Um, so Vlad Tepes completely deserves the air quotes bad mouthing we've done to him because he was not a good person. He was not. I mean, he had the force of the impaled. I mean, conservatively, he's killed thousands of people. But conservatively. Um, he got the name Dracula, which means son of the dragon, son of the devil, uh, used interchangeably. Tepesh is actually a slang name that means impaler. Yes. So we don't really know a lot about him personality-wise. Uh, so you start to see, like, that really get mixed with Dracula myths. Um, so, like, in Castlevania, uh, Dracula's human name is Vlad Tepesh, which is why his son, Alucard, is Adrian Tepes. Yes. I'm going to let you be handle all the Castlevania, because I don't know it. So Dracula tourism is huge. It's um, a big thing in Ireland. It's a big thing in Whitby. It is a big thing in Romania. Yes. Um, the seaside village of Whitby is actually where Stoker got a ton of his inspiration. He would go there on vacation. There's an abandoned abbey. There's a super creepy graveyard. And now there's a bench dedicated to him because that's where they thought Stoker would sit when his room was being cleaned during his vacation times. Because he would go out there and take notes. He's like, Whippy, this is perfect! I don't know why that's so cute to me. Just him outside on his little bench. This is my bench. Um, I'm never making Sangria again. So fun things to know about this time period. Poor people were so afraid that their children would die that the working class people routinely signed up their kids for what are called burial clubs to prevent them from having to spend a ton of money on burying their kids or having a funeral because they did not want to put their kids in a pauper's grave. So you can do that now. You can. We have coffin clubs where you can make your own coffin and you can like design it and paint it. That way when you're ready to go, you have one already. Where would you store that in your house? Your garage. 
want to store in my bedroom. Please don't. Uh, also, if you need a casket, uh, you can buy one at Costco. Yeah, which is fascinating. You just have to get it to the funeral home. Yeah. I also saw a car in front of me the other day that said Guardian Angel Caskets. Inevitably, you can order caskets directly from them. You 100% can. So. All right. Yes. There are some notes in here. There's too many notes in here, frankly. There's notes on notes on notes on notes. Do we want to go to questions from our listeners? Are we sober enough to answer questions from listeners? I mean, rarely. Mm. Do you want to do notes or questions? I think questions will be more fun. I think this is my favorite question that we had. Mm -hmm. How can you forgive Van Helsing's policy of never telling women anything? I can't. I don't. <laughs> like, um, I, feel, I don't forgive it. I feel like if he had even just gone up to Lucy's mom and been like, listen, this is going to sound a little unorthodox, but we need to keep the windows closed. And this is a healing herb for my homeland. It's really going to help her out. Just leave it on. If it doesn't work in two days, we'll try something else. But I just need you to leave it there. Yeah. Um, there's no. There, that's a very, very short answer to the question is we, we, we don't. Yeah. We, do, we don't forgive him. It's stupid and trite. And the idea that women don't understand things is stupid and grossly misogynistic. And they weren't protecting Nina. They weren't protecting anyone from anything. Yeah, they weren't protecting Jack shit. It was just dumb. <laughs> Next Jack question. Jack Stewart shit? Yeah. Um, uh, Next question. Who made Dracula a vampire? Or is the original, like, how they say Vlad is? There is no clarification in this book about how Dracula was made into a vampire. He just was and exists. Yeah. Um, if you listen to, like, some more modern retellings of the vampire myth, the idea of there being, like, an older vampire, usually it is Vlad Dracula. And then all are kind of, like, his children. That's always, like, the lore that's kind of informed me. Because my vampire lore is, like, a bit of, like, a hodgepodge from, like, Anne Rice and Vampire the Masquerade. So the idea that, one, vampirism is low-key contagious, but also that there was, like, this supernatural, like, all-father of vampirism. Some people call that Cain. Some, the mark of Cain. Some people are wrong. Something about Vampire the Masquerade. What, um... I love Vampire the Masquerade. Me too. There, you know, do you know who has the largest community of Vampire the Masquerade players? Ooh. Austin. Really? We're like two hours away. That's not even an hour and a half if you speed. If you speed. Next um, question. We've already kind of covered how bad Vlad was. So we have. Um, but like even Vlad, he really wasn't a blood drinker. Like he was just a murderous dude. He was just a he was just a serial killer. Really, the whole passage about him drinking blood comes from a priest who was talking about the fact that Vlad dipped his bread into some blood from one of the bodies. And that was more like a, a spell witchcrafty thing than it yeah. was like a I have bloodlust thing. Uh, let's see. Do you consider the moral and religious undertones as adding value to the book, to a book that is purely speculative fiction? Um, so here's the thing with like authorial intent. I don't think you can ever fully separate the author from the work. So I think because so much of the way he writes vampires is like a moral fable and is like this religious cautionary tale against like guarding women from corruption and making it way more religious than it needs to be. Because like really a lot of what we have to blame like Christianity and vampires is related to Stoker. Right. Uh, and I will say blame because you're really pretty godless creatures. Um, like I, you can't say that you don't want that in your speculative fiction if it's already there. Like, uh, people do this a lot with, like, superhero movies, or, like, superhero comics, where it's like, I don't want politics in my comics. Well, they're political, so fuck you. 
surprise, I've been there forever. Right, like, surprise, Captain America has always been political. Surprise, Superman has always been political. Like, you can't say, I don't want this thing to be, you know, political when it always has been. So, do I, like, it's weird, but Stoker put it in there. He could have been, like, the writer of Carmilla, where it was pretty godless. Carmilla's pretty godless as far as, like, how do you get rid of vampires and stuff? Like, open up a curtain, I guess. Eh. Eh. Um, so some interesting things about speculative fiction at the time period as well. Um, a lot of stuff was removed from the Trinity library in Dublin. Trinity is where Stoker went to school. They were basically the people who kind of held, they were kind of like the library of Congress for Ireland, but they got to choose what went into the library. I thought you were going to say the library of Congress for vampires. I would be very excited. Uh, that would be amazing. It would be. Like, for example, um, there's a bunch of writing in there that belongs to the Shelleys, but they're their travel journals, not, not Frankenstein. So not the thing that we want to read. Not the thing we want to read. Next question. The how do you spell vampire? With okay. an I. <laughs> Here's the thing. It yeah. depends on what culture you're from and what time period it is. Yeah. Um, you have the V-A-M-P-Y-R-E, which you'll see on the Buffy cover um, in Buffy the Vampire Slayer in the giant book in the library. Um, V-A-M-P-I-R-E is more common in the U.S. Because that's the Anglo-Saxonized version. There's also things like U-P-I-R for Upir, um, which is also another variation. Uh, it I, kind of just depends on where you're from, what time period it is. Yeah, I'm a filthy American. I spell it with an I. Yeah, that's the same. All right. Also, the hero of the story isn't male. The hero and true voice of the show is a woman. Should that change the outcome or view of this piece of literature when you consider that fact? Uh, it would if we had a better writer. I wish Mina would get more credit because <laughs> they could not have done any of this without Mina. Yeah, like I, I, I kind of feel like this is a little bit like the issue that we have with Great Gatsby, where like the women are just so are just so poorly written that like you kind of can't like them. And not there's nothing to like about Mina, but it's just you can tell that she's hindered by a lot of plot nonsense. You can tell that she's kind of like a, just, she's a device. She's bait. Um, so do I wish it changed the outcome of the story? Of course I do. Do I wish we had a better writer? Absolutely. It's one of the reasons why I, I will always give Bram Stoker credit for giving form to a lot of these feelings. But for me, there's always been better authors who've done more with vampire mythos. Right. I want to say thank you so much for sending in questions. It really is awesome. Yeah, we really like this. Yeah, it's cool. Did I speak for you? Do you not like it? No, I love it. Okay. Uh, so we'll continue to do this. Uh, we really do appreciate your questions. Thank you for all of those who sent us questions. Uh, and if we did not have time to answer your question during this recording, uh, we'll answer them on social as well. So the conversation truly does never stop, as vampires do truly never stop. We're going to tell you a little bit about Bram Stoker. Um... It can be a little bit difficult to find accurate information. I'm going to tell you that right now. It's it's kind of it's not as bad as looking up Sappho though. Um, he was born November eighth, eighteen forty seven. Passed away nineteen twelve um, in on April twentieth. His full name is Abraham Stoker, but his father also had the same name, so they called him Brom to help distinguish the two. Lovely. His mother was Charlotte Matilda Blake Thornley Stoker. Too many names. So many names. Uh, Brom was bedridden with an illness until the age of seven. 
If you go to the Irish Writers Museum in Dublin, they have a whole anecdote about he, him being completely healed one day when he rose from reclining upon hearing the sound of the parish church bells. There's no proof of this. But the Irish Writers Museum does have a first edition copy of Dracula that I stood in front of for 20 minutes because it was beautiful. I also just love the idea of being animated back to life by church bells. So the potato famine occurred when Brom was a child. So it would have been very heavy in his consciousness. Um, Stoker was born and raised in Dublin, but many Dubliners don't consider him to be a Dubliner. They consider him to be a Londoner because that's where he ended up and he spent the majority of his life in London. Is this like an actual like fight? Yes. Okay. Um, there is a lot of Dracula tourism in Dublin at his home, well, one of them, and there's a weird walkthrough museum in Whitby. Um, Stoker started his writing career as a theater critic for the Dublin Evening Mail, and that's where he met Sheridan Le Fanu, the writer of Carmilla, and also loved his writing. Um, and stole a bunch of it later. Bram Stoker married Florence Bauckham, who we've mentioned before because it's Oscar Wilde's ex-girlfriend. Hell yeah! Um, Did they, they ever fight in an alley? No. Um, he also completely disregarded Wilde after the, uh, the charges of uh, buggery were brought up against him. Can, we draw, can someone draw them fighting in an alley? I would like someone to draw them fighting in an alley. Um, though famous for writing Dracula now, during his lifetime, Stoker was known for being the assistant to actor Henry Irving and running his theater. Assistant. Assistant. We'll go into that in a minute. There are no known photographs of Stoker smiling, but this is not uncommon for the age. Um, there is also only one picture of him writing. He left behind very little personal information about himself, but a lot of notes about his stories. He was six two and that's a time where most people were five six at like the most he was very big um <laughs> tori looked at me as if i should be threatened by this a little bit please um, understand that if brom stoker ever met me one i am small i'm educated i'm black and i'm biologically female we would fight immediately stoker ended up becoming friends with sir arthur conan doyle very much later in life and may have helped him uh do the whole hoax with the fake cryptid creature entirely possible yes um stoker had a lifelong obsession with hypnosis and mesmerism which you'll see in dracula yes if you do a really quick search of him on amazon or a local library you get basically all these Bram stoker award winners instead of his biography mm -hmm. um, that's because the Bram stoker award is like the highest honor in horror writing now We've already talked a little bit about how he attended Trinity College, and it was kind of like their Library of Congress. Um, Florence Bauckham, his wife, was really interesting after Stoker died. Um, Max Schreck started filming Nosferatu, and it was incredibly close to the Dracula story. And as she had sold the rights to the play, um, she sued the hell out of the production for the German film and wanted all copies to be destroyed. Mm -hmm. One was saved, and that's why we still have Nosferatu, which you can watch for free if you have Amazon Prime. Not yet a sponsor. Not yet a sponsor. Very, very strange. Due to the unsuspecting nature of one of his homes, because he moved a lot, the Russian crown jewels were stored in one of the Stoker's old homes as collateral to a loan to Russia for money to help found the initial Soviet Union, according to author David Skull. 
Piltdown Man is the creature I was thinking about with Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Piltdown Man. Okay. I swear to drunk, I am not God. I mean, I'm glad you're not God. This would be a really awkward conversation. <sighs> Did we have to read this in school? No, but I read it because I am a huge nerd. I initially read it in high school because I was the goth kid. Um, I took a course on it in college. So Dracula really latches on to your imagination. Um, there are hundreds of movies, hundreds of books. Um, I, at one point in time, had established a rule that unless a friend directly recommended a book to me, if it featured Dracula and wasn't written by Bram Stoker, I was no longer allowed to read it. I read so damn many vampire books in high school that I got the nickname Vampire Girl. It was not a good thing. I'm sorry. That's not negative. It's not now. Now it's like part of my profession. But I thought it was funny then. Which part of your profession? I know. The part that I do for free with you on weekends. So I have to say, like, I know your day job, but I don't think that has anything to do. I will say that so far I have the best decorated desk. But that's neither here nor there. Um, I have a velvet pumpkin on my desk. Oh, mine are just covered in glitter. Of course mine is velvet. Yours would be velvet. Of course it is. There are so many adaptations, you guys. Yeah, I think one thing that we did gloss over a little bit is um, the impact. Because basically, I mean, we don't talk about Carmilla as a society. So if you talk about Dracula, Stoker is the first thing that most people think about. Or that horrible Gary Oldman movie. I love that movie. I'm sorry you have bad taste. I love that movie. It's so good. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry you have questions. I don't care taste. what you say. I love Gary Oldman. I, no, I will I will concur that Keanu Reeves' accent in it is absolutely terrible and that I can't stand Winona Ryder anymore, but... What did Winona Ryder do to you? The overacting. Oh, that's fair. Um, so we really can't minimize the impact of this work. That pretty much, if you like vampires, if you're that goth kid, if you also listen to My Chemical Romance well until your 30s, so I have a journal up on the shelf right now, which I will not take down from when I was a suicidal high school teenager. And on the front of it, it says in red, like glowy letters, children of the night, what sweet music they make. Because I was that goth kid and I bought that at Hot Topic with my, my money that I saved up. So all of my uh, fanfic emo journals are like bright and sparkly because they were a red herring. Because, of course, your family members would look towards the goth witch book, but they won't look to the one with the pink flower on it. That's fair. Yeah, I also have one with dividers so I can divide my fanfic by a uh, fandom. I was an organized smut peddler. I can see this. Oh, yeah. Uh, so we really definitely can't minimize the impact of this. Like, So if you like Anne Rice, if you like Twilight, if you like Vampire the Masquerade, if you like vampires... I mean, you really should be giving credit to Carmilla, but no one does, so I guess we'll give the credit to Stoker, even though I do not want to. We've already kind of talked a little bit about it. Nosferatu is an adaptation. The Bela Lugosi version, which is very different from the book. Yes. Um, there's also a Mel Brooks version called Dracula Dead and Loving It that's based off of the Lugosi version, not, mm -hmm. but it's hilarious. Um, there's the Christopher Lee version. There's, as already mentioned, the 92 Dracula with Gary Oldman. The mm -hmm. romance between Mina and Dracula is not in the book. Do not write that in a paper. Um, but you can if you want to. Dracula 2000 with hot-ass Gerard Butler. I don't think he's attractive. My favorite line in that movie is the guy, I think it's um, 
Johnny Lee Miller holding up the cross. The guy looks because I don't believe in Jesus for it. And he pulls out the blade from the bottom of the cross and stabs him and goes, but Jesus believes in you. It was really bad. It made me happy. My eyes just rolled into the back of my head for a minute. I know. I feel like I need to hit the back of your head and bring them back forward, but they're back. Um, Buffy had a really terrible version of Dracula. There was that movie in the mid two thousands of Dracula untold. That yes. no one watched. Uh-huh. I went and saw it. In the I saw it in theaters as well. Because my boyfriend at the time was like, let's go see it. And I'm like, this looks horrible. But I saw it before. with my senpai at the Santicos Theater uh, near 410. Yeah. And I remember mostly just being bored. I remember mostly being bored. Uh, Castlevania, which is a thing that I love a lot, uh, takes a lot of Dracula lore. Uh, down to giving uh, Lord Dracula Vlad Tepish's name in human form, uh, and then giving his son Alucard, which is Dracula backwards. Which is, I'm going to call out my friend Greg. I told him that because we were playing the Castlevania fighting game that no one likes. And I said, yeah, Alucard, which is not original. He's like, what do you mean it's not original? Like, it's just Dracula backwards. Like, you can see him, like, bringing the letters down. He's like, I fucking hate you. I'm like, I didn't do this. Uh, I was not responsible. So if you like Castlevania, including that questionable anime, uh, I'm going to go ahead and call it questionable. Uh, That draws a lot from Dracula lore. I mean, if that's your thing. I liked Castlevania as a game a lot. As an anime, it exists. So we use a lot more resources than I put in here, but... um, We did use so many more resources than that. Yeah. Dracula, the first modern vampire on YouTube. Um, Dracula, as far as Thug Notes. Um, I didn't look for one. For there was not a Thug Notes, I don't think. There wasn't? I, I thought there so. was. Was there? Because I, I watched a lot of them. Um, one of the books I used a lot of information from was Something in the Blood, The Untold Story of Bram Stoker um, by David J. Skull. He posits quite a bit that uh, Stoker and Henry Irving may have had a relationship. Um What's interesting is that Wilde, Oscar Wilde and Bram Stoker existed in the same town at the same time. There's chances that Bram Stoker spent quite a bit of time at uh, Mrs. Wilde's salon, so um, Oscar's mom. They did go to Trinity College at the same time, um, but once everything kind of fell apart with Oscar Wilde with the trial, um, Stoker started calling for no homosexuality to be allowed in Ireland at the time. But there's a lot of people who wonder what exactly was going through his head, especially because he supposedly had a very loveless marriage with Francis Balcom. Um, they have one kid, Noel Stoker, who did pass away, and his ashes are also um, in the same jar as his father's. And then now you have, um, I believe it's Doc Stoker. I made a Stoker. face, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, so... There are some more Dracula-ish books that come out from one of his, like, great-great-nephews or something like that. Was that just, like, the ravings of a closeted man? Entirely possible. Um, because there's not enough on his sexuality for me to posit, I'm going to kind of do what I did with Harper Lee and just say, this is what I've read, I'm not going to make a comment about it. Okay, you're entitled to that. I mean, I don't really need more reasons to not like Bram Stoker outside of him being a thief and a... Leech, but okay, sure. It's still a Dracula, though. I mean, it's fine. 
I've read this, but not as much as I've read the original Phantom of the Opera by Gaston Leroux. There is also entirely an adaptation that we forgot. Which one? Which is the Von Helsing movie. Oh, no, that doesn't exist. It exists. It doesn't exist. It completely exists. I pretend it doesn't. I, okay. Oh, and all the um, Hotel Transylvania movies. Those don't exist. Those are adorable. I, you have a kid. I do. I have an excuse. Okay. I hate those. This is why I get to be excited about Frozen 2. I mean, I'm willing to give... That, that one I'm willing to give a pass. Von Helsing, though, with Hugh Jackman. That is uh, my trash. That's your trash? I know it's bad, but um, that is my trash. It is 100% my trash. What are we reading next? We're reading Frankenstein, uh, colon, <laughs> subtitle, The Modern Prometheus. Which I'm going to tell you right now, I did not remember starting with somebody writing in their journal about traveling to St. Petersburg. I completely remember that. I didn't, and I started reading it last night going, wait, is this the right book? Yeah. Also, I think that's going to be our live extravaganza because we have costumes. We do. But um, I'm excited to read Frankenstein. I think Mary Shelley is great and doesn't get, get the credit that she deserves. I'm just going to go ahead and say that. Also, um, did we ever return Percy Shelley's heart? I think eventually it was. Okay, good. But we gotta look it up. She's like the original goth kid. I love that I say we as in, like, it's our responsibility. Um, last I checked, it was not my responsibility. Tori, to did you organs. return Percy Shelley's heart? No, personally, I have not. I have not personally either, so I guess it's still uh, in a tote bag somewhere. No. Still in a reusable grocery bag somewhere. Um, also, yeah, we'll be at the Romanian Festival, uh next weekend i don't know what to wear i don't either i was just gonna wear clothes that hopefully don't kill me in the heat so something you need to keep in mind it's like 90 something degrees in texas today i doubt it's 90 okay it was 85 this morning when i left to go to work so i'm gonna go to weatherbug hold on it's awful let's see what weatherbug says because i don't think it's 90 degrees so we are all over social media as well we are on never mind i'm a fucking liar it's 90 degrees (laughs) haha wait no it's 89 it's 89 um we're on Unfortunately Required on Instagram. Yes. What? Uh, what is it? Unfortunately RR on Twitter, which Amanda yes. is in charge of and doing a killer job. I'm doing my best. Unfortunately Required Reading on Facebook. Yes. And then our website, unfortunatelyrequiredreading.com. Yeah, we'll be able to see uh, the sangria that I made. So good. It's really good. And if you ever want to email us, unfortunatelyrequiredreading at gmail.com. Yeah. Um, I had a good time. We both like vampires. I think we're both... Uh, Fairly lush on this blood. Right, now we need to go get tacos. Yeah. Or something. This is most definitely the longest podcast we've ever done. Is it? Yes. Really? Yes. Oh my god, this is the best day of my life. This is the day that you've dreamed of. Finally, I get to... Well, okay, so my goal was this to be a less drunk longest podcast. Oh, you know how we roll. (laughs) So, the battle for longest podcast has been our longest episode, Husband Beowulf. For a long time. Because we were, to put it nicely, uh, lit. We were me drunk. Oh, 100%. We were prepared for the fields of Valhalla. I mean, you were, but I'm brown, so they wouldn't have taken me. Fuck that, we'll start our own Valhalla. Oh my god, you're gonna have an integrated Valhalla? That's so kind. Hell Thank yeah. you. Uh, but finally, I get to say this, mostly sober, longest podcast. Now... For the love of all things good and holy, please read a book.